the SGPN Fantasy Baseball Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is presented by WinBet. WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds, WinBet has what you need to win. Sign up today, bet $100, and get a $100 free bet at sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash winbet. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. We're also brought to you by the SGPN Bowl Challenge. $250 cash and a $250 gift card is up for grabs exclusively on the SGPN app. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. As usual, I am your host, Blake Meyer, joined by my co-host, Ryan Gilbert. Ryan, how you doing, bud? I'm, I'm doing fantastic here. I mean, a little inside baseball. We're recording this with, with uh, after our uh, interview with our guest. A, a fantastic interview with Gary Sheffield Jr. Really special episode coming up for you guys. So hopefully you guys enjoy it, and hopefully we can have a more things like this in the future i had an absolute blast that might have been my favorite episode that we have recorded yet just so much fun just shooting the shit talking baseball talking mets talking yankees i snuck a little red Sox and mariners in there for you guys out there yeah it was an awesome episode and i'm excited to have him come back on in the future as well yeah i mean you you went your little spoiler alert here but you went right away and into the mets there with their uh (laughs) Not necessarily having a fantasy lineup on the field. He, uh, there was some some good Phillies talk in there that I obviously enjoyed. So, yeah, a lot of uh, maybe not necessarily as much fantasy baseball content as our normal shows, but definitely a lot of great baseball talk in there. Growing the game, different roles, how how things can change, and yeah, just a overall a, a great interview coming up for you guys. Yeah, I'm. These are. The kind of episodes I dreamed of when we started this podcast, just hanging out, talking baseball. I mean, obviously, we'd love to make every episode fantasy baseball related for you guys, but some of them we just hang out and just talk baseball. And it's just, it's not often you get the chance to just talk baseball on a platform with somebody like that. And it was cool for us to be able to do that. Yeah. And like, it's, it's December 13th right now. No one's I don't think there's any sort of fantasy baseball drafts available, or maybe there's some sort of off-season trades in dynasty leagues and keeper leagues and stuff like that. But no one right now is like, why aren't you guys talking about fantasy baseball? No, one, no <laughs> one's doing that. It's not It's not the first week of the season. It, it's not, there's nothing going on. All, all we can do is just sit back, talk some baseball, sprinkle in some, some fantasy uh, relevant stuff here. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can do this more in the future. This was, Fantastic. I, I, I quite enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I don't know what else we want to say here before we cut to that. You mean people aren't clamoring to hear about Ross Stripling signing with the Giants in the middle of December? Oh, that's a giant move right there. How dare you? How dare you? So he can go he can go throw 130 innings next year and go like 10 and 7 with a 3-4 ERA. But yeah, yeah uh, without further ado, I think it might be time to... Uh, Cut well, it over to our talk with Gary. 
Well, uh, we do have uh, some ado here from our friends over at WinBet. Ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. We're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards are right at your fingertips with win rewards on WinBet. Looking to get involved in the same game parlay? WinBet is your home with their WinBet Build Your Own Bet, letting you customize the bet you want to make. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. WinBet has what you need to win. Ready to play? Sign up today to, to receive a special offer, bet $100, win $100. There's so much to choose from. All you have to do is head over to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash winbet so they know we sent you. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T to claim your free bet today. Office of Exchange, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 20 or older and present in the state where play to is available. If you have some nervous gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. And we're back with Underdog Fantasy. And if you haven't signed up already, you can still get a 100% deposit match up to $100 when you use the promo code SGPN. Just go to underdogfantasy.com, promo code SGPN for a 100% deposit match. Underdog is great for their weekly Battle Royale format, as well as getting an early start with their playoff best ball. Underdogfantasy.com, promo code SGPN. All right. We're here with Gary Sheffield Jr. from Twitter, as he says. Uh, He's also got a uh, YouTube show. You can go find him over on YouTube or Twitter. Uh, I mean, as usual, it's me and Ryan back here talking some fantasy baseball. And I kind of just want to get right into it right out of the get-go. Gary, I saw you posted on Twitter. How are the Mets not a fantasy baseball team spending all that money they've spent so far? Well, I'm excited about the Mets. I'm a Yankees fan, but how can you not be happy about an owner spending money? And I think a lot of us are used to the Yankees being the team that, oh, they buy championships. They buy championships. This guy's available. I bet you the Yankees are calling. Now it's the Mets. And I can't get mad about it because otherwise I'd be a hypocrite. When George Steinbrenner was the owner of the Yankees, now it's Hal Steinbrenner, we were going out and spending money. Profits weren't on the forefront. People didn't care about profits as much. Of course, they still cared, but it wasn't to this level that you see today. So I'm stoked, to be honest. I mean, yeah, it, it's exciting to see teams and especially Steve Cohen have owner just go out there and be like, I don't care about the luxury tax, just I'm going to get whoever I can. And I'm, I'm looking at their payroll and they like, I mean, they still have to pay Pete Alonzo. He's arbitration eligible. Like they have these bunch of guys. And but to, I saw one of your tweets over the weekend, I think that like, how are the Mets not better? And as a Phillies fan myself, I love to hate on the Mets. Like right. I do respect them. I had a rant a few shows ago about, I love that teams are going out there and buying championships. That's what you have to do to build the best roster. And yeah, just looking at their lineup, like outside of Alonzo, no one really scares you there. I guess Lindor is a solid hitter there in the three hole, but right. I mean, it looks like they overpaid Nimmo to bring him back. Their, their depth still isn't great, but I mean, those, those two aces there with uh, Scherzer and Verlander are going to be pretty good. Yeah, their staff is lit. Love the staff. You can't say anything about the staff. The one no. thing I will say about the Mets, and you just said it, that lineup is just, they're okay. They're all right. They're not <laughs> great. They're not going to show up and beat Houston. That's the thing. And of course, Houston is the best team in the league, but that's a championship team. That's what they're trying to – that's the whole reason that Steve Cohen's spending all this money is that at the end he can say, this team, I wouldn't be shocked if we won a World Series. 
But if the Mets won a World Series, I can't exactly say I'd be shocked, but that lineup doesn't look like a World Series contender to me. And when you spend $350 million, you kind of would assume the lineup is going to look like the 0405 Yankees, um, today's Houston teams. There's been some great lineups, Philadelphia in the late you know, 2008, 2009. You would expect to see lineups like that, but the New York Mets are a little thin offensively and who knows? It wouldn't surprise me. I know Steve Cohen just liked a tweet of, uh, who was it? Carlos Correa potentially signing there. It wouldn't Ooh. shock any of us, really. It really wouldn't. And you're uh, tugging at Ryan Cardings with the uh, the Phillies talk. He's a, a Philly guy over there, so he's not the biggest Mets fan in the world. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm kind of iffy on their lineup too. It is kind of I don't know. I, I would expect to be like blown away after spending all that money and signing somebody like Brandon Nimmo to an eight year contract after he's only played 140 or more games twice seems odd to me. I mean, he's He's a non-base king. He does the things you want to do. He plays the okay defense, but he's he's not anybody that blows anybody away. So to lock him in for eight years just seems so weird. Yeah. The one thing I will say and that we can try to stay away from, and I, it's really difficult to not do this. They're the New York Mets, like looking at numbers and what they paid a guy, Steve Cohen's pretty much proving like I'll spend whatever. So when we think about, okay, if let's just say the New York Yankees went and signed Brandon Nimmo, you make the assumption that, okay, that's a big signing for them this offseason. So they're not going to do much else. The Mets are essentially saying, we don't care. So money is just relative. <laughs> it's all Steve Cohen's money. So they're just like, well, if we'll keep spending, he's essentially, he's spending $340 million, $345 million, I believe the number is right now. He's I looking think at so, yeah. Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa is another $35 million a year player. So he's saying that the payroll could go up to $375 million before taxes. So what that Jeez. means is that if Shohei Otani became available next offseason, all those contracts that we didn't really love, it won't matter. He's just going to go right after Shohei Otani. And it's like you would think that it wouldn't work like that, but Steve Cohen's showing you it's just money. And if I want to spend it, it's spent. That's the thing I've been big on this offseason and pretty much just overall is that baseball money, there's no salary cap. Baseball right. money is fake. Go out and spend it. I'm a big hockey fan. The NHL salary cap is very tight compared to MLB, just completely different. And, yeah, I want to see people go out and spend money. The Phillies went out. They got Harper, got Schwarber, right. got Castellanos, got Zach Wheeler. But like you said, I mean, that lineup's great. And we even saw them having Wheeler and Nola. They're not quite Verlander Scherzer level, but – we saw the Astros beat them. So it's going to take more than just a few good starting pitchers. And, you know, they, I mean, they have a better bullpen than the Phillies did with, uh, with Evan Diaz and, and uh, their, their guys there. But yeah, uh, that's the Mets are, are going out to spend, which is, which is great to see it. It would just be better to see bigger names there. And I guess Correa would be an interesting guy to see if he would play third base or if they would switch Lindor somewhere or like maybe just DH one of them. Cause they don't have a DH right now, which is kind of crazy with, the DH going universal. Yeah, those pickups, like you, like you just named them with Philadelphia. Philadelphia made those pickups last off season or two off seasons ago with Castellanos and um, you go get Schwarber. Well, those pickups are made with the assumption that you're going to dial it back the next couple of years. They didn't. They didn't do that. They went and got Trey Turner. I don't think many people would have been like, oh, 
I can't wait for next offseason where the Phillies spend again. We kind of assumed, okay, they signed a $100 million guy here, $100 million there. You assume that's it. And these baseball teams without a salary cap, like a hard salary cap like the NBA has, um, the way the hockey really has, the NFL, it doesn't matter. If an owner wants to spend, then really the only reason that they won't is because you've dialed back expectations based on what they've done in the past. Like how Steinbrenner has proven, he won't spend over the top to get the Yankees over the hump. He just won't do that. And people are making it seem like he did this yeoman's work going to get Aaron Judge. I didn't see it that way. I felt like it was the bare minimum to go get Aaron Judge. He's the most valuable asset to the Yankees the past 20 years, 15 years, I'd say, since Jeter. And um, really, my assumption is that he should spend more money. And if he doesn't, we're really wasting our time. So I'm glad Philadelphia did what they did. They're a much better team today than they were a couple months ago, which is hard to believe. But all these owners telling you that, oh, we're not spending this offseason or we're, we're tapped out, they're really not. I promise you guys they are they're on a yacht somewhere relaxing. So That's what kills me about being a Mariners fan. Uh, every offseason we get so excited as Mariners fans. Uh, like this is a year like we could really use a middle infielder and you know what this is the year to sign a middle infielder and we get to the get to the offseason and Jerry DePoto comes out and says that the ownership group once again put a spending cap on him and it sounds like 130 million was the spending cap for next year and it just seems so weird for us to break that playoff drought right. go into the offseason arguably one piece away from making a legitimate push and then the ownership group just being like nah especially our our tv deal is 100 million so to about 130 million dollar deal or 130 million dollar cap on a team that has a 100 million dollar tv deal it it's so petty and cheap for absolutely no reason yeah most fans really don't understand the details of how much money owners are making like how much is really in line with tv money um, just in terms of what they get for jersey sales and um, really the the revenue sharing from all these major markets because the Yankees and Mets and, and Phillies, they pay, they literally give a check to a lot of these teams like the Marlins. And people don't necessarily understand that. And when you take your time and you try to figure out, okay, where are all these different streams of revenue? If you break it down, the New York Yankees, as a perfect example, made profit in a regular and a normal season will make about $600 million profit. Now, when that's happening, you would assume that money at some point is going to go towards players and they'll look back and say, well, we're spending 250 million. The revenue and the way it's gone up, it's not going up the same way in spending. It's not going up at the same rate. I don't expect them to go hand in hand, but at some point, it's got to add up. Like it's got to match up when you're spending the same amount of money you were spending in 04. There's an issue. Yeah, th that's a great point. And I want to go back to something you just said about judge and how he's the most important Yankee since Jeter. Cause like if the Yankees, well, two part question here, cause I know Blake and I have talked about this a bunch here. Um, did you ever think judge would realistically go anywhere but the Yankees, because like I thought him going to San Francisco was just a complete bluff. Like he was using that as leverage because he's not going to win there. But I, I understand he's from there. And also, what do you want the Yankees to do next? You want to go get Correa? You want to go get him get Rodon? You want to do both? What should uh, they do now? 
you know, to be honest with you, if I didn't deal with that Robinson Cano situation all those years ago, <laughs> I would have thought, well, he's going nowhere. But once I saw Cano and obviously like my family was like, you know, we're friends with him and we're like, we're just letting you know, leaving the Yankees, you're not just leaving. Like you're not just going for the extra dollar. You're going to make all that money back. Right. And of course, the legacy of staying a Yankee, you can't match it anywhere. It doesn't matter where you play. You're not a Yankee. So, yeah. Did I think that Judge might potentially leave? I kind of did. I thought it was 50-50. And that's the beauty of being a free agent and actually having having leverage. And Aaron Judge had that. He had multiple teams bidding on him. I believe he had a $400 million deal from San Diego. Mm-hmm. And who wouldn't want to live in San Diego for a $400 million check? Oh, uh, yeah. I don't care. I don't care. Legacy all because I know it's easy to talk about other people's legacy and what you would do if you were in their position. But when you're talking about it's you under the gun now and having to make that decision, it's not as easy of a decision as people make it uh, make it seem. And in terms of what the Yankees need to do, the Yankees need to look at players and say, is this a guy that is a can't miss talent? And you just need to look at the free agents or the trade market. And of course, the trade market, we're not exactly sure who's available in the trade market. So we'll look at the free agents. You look at Carlos Correa. You looked at Trey Turner, who was a free agent, eventually signing with Philadelphia. You have Carlos Rodon. Aaron Judge was there. So they re-sign Aaron Judge, still hasn't signed on the dotted line yet. Look at who are the best players available when you're making $600 million profit at some point, you need to say, we don't need, we don't have to spend because our fans will accept what we're doing right now, but we want to. We want to put the best players on the field. And if they really wanted the best players possible, Carlos Rodon would be a Yankee today, and Carlos Correa would be a Yankee today. Once that's happened, you let Carlos Correa play shortstop. Anthony Volpe, who's the Yankees' prize possession, he's supposed to be, can't call him the next Jeter, but and but what we can say is that he has the skill set to be a superstar and eventual, um, a perennial all-star. That's a great thing for the Yankees. We have to believe in that as an organization. You can't just be like, well, we haven't groomed prospects in a while, so we can't believe in this kid. I can't do that. But Carlos Correa can move over to third base when Volpe is ready, can he? So why aren't we doing that? We're not doing it because Hal Steinbrenner thinks that a $250 million payroll is plenty. He doesn't look at the players on the field and say, this is not enough. He looks at the payroll and then he walks off. That to me is unacceptable. That's a great uh, point. I, I just, just put in here. I, I think it's a, it's a Mets type move that the Yankees are doing at shortstop. They're hoping the kid's going to come up and they're not going to go out and, and pay somebody. And the Mets are doing what the Yankees would typically do. And right. they're, I don't think they can ever truly take over the Yankees in New York just because of the legacy and everything that Yan- the Yankees are. But Steve Cohen is doing his damnedest there to try to put that all-star field, all-star team on the field and, and win championships. And the Yankees are, you know, they brought back Rizzo, they brought back Judge, but they're kind of pinching pennies a little bit. You know what I love about it, though, is that it kind of exposes the hypocrisy with spending in Major League Baseball. And, and what I mean by that is that fans pretend they hate spending and that the Yankees buy championships and all these teams buy championships. But when their team goes and gets a star, they're pretty they're pretty happy, aren't they? 
uh, Trey Turner signs for what he signed for 300 million. Doesn't matter. 11 year. <laughs> three what the 340 I think was it. I don't something know. ridiculous. It, it I think it, it was like 27.7 billion a year for 11 right. years. So whatever. Yeah, it was, it was 280, 300 million. Yeah, for 11 years. Yeah, they gave a speed guy 300 million, and I was happy about it. He's a great player, but he could have signed anywhere. He could have signed with the Padres. He could have signed with the D-backs. You know, the D-backs signed Zach Greinke, and they're like, good for the D-backs. We didn't expect it. Then the Yankees go out yeah. and, and get CC Sabathia. They're like, oh, again? I'm like, what? <laughs> like it, it doesn't even it doesn't even make sense. I'm like the Yankees haven't gotten a free agent other than Garrett Cole that you were like, oh, this is the big fish. The Yankees hardly ever do it. Like, let's be honest. Do you think that Rodon ends up being somebody that they seriously go after? I mean, he's never pitched over was that 178 innings last year was his career high, and now the rumor is he wants seven years, 200 million. I think was the last thing I saw. Would they spend that much for somebody that's never pitched 180 innings? Well, yeah, they would. And I think he's a good pickup for the Yankees, but, you know, he's not ideal. Um, He's not ideal. Um, The Yankees really what they need, they need to improve their lineup. That should be a point of emphasis. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't pick up a great pitcher when he's available. Carlos Rodon is not going to be that type of guy where you say, go get 220 innings, take the pressure off our bullpen. And that's been the Yankees' problem, is that they've been way too reliant on four or five inning starts from their starters, and they'll just pass it to the bullpen in the sixth inning, and they've got like a designated sixth inning guy, a designated seventh (laughs) inning guy. I'm like, guys, play baseball. The starter is supposed to pitch as long as he can until you no longer deem him effective. The Yankees will just go let... Luis Severino throw five innings. He'll have like he'll give up one hit, walk the leadoff batter in the sixth. They're like he's out. <laughs> you you can't do that. And eventually you have to build your roster and say let's put guys into positions to succeed. And in order to win in the postseason, we need innings from these starters. And of course, before you can get innings from your starters, you need to sign the right guys that you can say this is a two in two hundred inning guy. And that's what I was hoping for. Yeah, it seems like what you were saying before with like the can't miss talents is kind of what the Padres have been doing. They went out, they got Soto, they have Machado, they have uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. as well, who has recently come up in uh, some Yankees rumors. What do you think about those? Are those legit at all? He'd obviously be a guy that can play shortstop and then shift to the outfield if if need be. Well, one thing about the Yankees is that there's a lot of pressure. There's a ton of pressure to win in New York because you can go play. Philadelphia is another one of those cities where there's pressure. They're not going to let you struggle for six weeks and no one's going to pay attention to you. Mm -hmm. It's not like what Joey Gallo did in Texas where you can stink for two months and then hit 10 bombs in a month and they're back on you. That's not the way it works in New York. So to be a New York Yankee, it doesn't mean that it's negative. It's not. It's not a negative environment. It means that you're held accountable. And one thing that Fernando Tatis Jr. hasn't done yet is prove that he can be accountable. And that's a problem. Can it be turned around? Yes, it can. He's like 23. He can figure it out. He can figure it out. I believe he will. But do I believe in it enough to say, let's go trade for this guy and invest $340 million? Probably not. So in, in terms of for the Yankees trading for him, Maybe that's something you consider down the road, but right now that's a gamble. 
Yeah, trading for him after everything that happened last year before he's even gotten a chance to prove himself back on the field again, it, it a gamble's a perfect word to describe it. You've got to let him get back out there. you got to show, let him show that he is kind of the same Tatis that he was before, before the injury, before the suspension, before all that. Like, let him prove that he's actually matured and is still a damn good baseball player before you start throwing out all these ridiculous trade deals that I see all over Twitter and everything lately. Because, I mean, it, a prime Tatis that didn't go through everything he went through last year, sure, he's worth a ridiculous amount of prospects. He's worth all the money. He's worth everything. But you don't know if that's what you're getting yet. So, yeah, I'd, I think he ends up just staying with the Padres. And it'll be weird to see him in right field if that's where he ends up being put. I see a lot of people uh, kind of projecting him to go out to right field. He was really fun to watch at shortstop. But, yeah, I'd, it's just weird that people think he's going to be on the move to the Yankees. Yeah, well, that's the that's the issue is that, well, for one, the Yankees don't like giving up big prospects. That's something they've proven. They do not gamble. Not with those prospects. So by the time Fernando Tatis Jr. figures it out and he's like, oh, well, the dude's back, which we ex- we kind of expect him to get back at some point. Like, oh, yeah, I would say mm-hmm. I would say there's a pretty good chance it happens. But by the time he proves it, you're not going to be comfortable with those prospects it takes. Like you're going to be dumping your farm. So like if you're ever going to acquire him, he's either to me just going to stay in San Diego and prove himself to be this superstar again or. Or it's basically like he'll fizzle out and you're like, well, we, we're glad we didn't trade for him. So there, there's really no in-between. And to be honest with you, um, I don't think a contender should dabble with this. Maybe another organization that doesn't have star talent. Maybe you take that gamble. But the organizations that have to win in 2023, I don't see it. Yeah, the, the one angle I could see with Tatis is that I, I may be making this up or misremembering, but it, it seems like after he, he got suspended that like his teammates kind of were like, okay, yeah, we're going to move on, move past this. And maybe there's some sort of friction in that locker room and their Padres are trying to get ahead of that. I mean, that's definitely probably a, a low possibility, but that could be something here. But I mean, you said it, he's 23, he's going to be 24 in January. Looking at that, that Padres core with him, Soto, now Machado and Bogarts, both 30 years old, they can win now and they, have what it takes to win in the future as long as uh, Tatis and Soto keep keep doing what they're doing. Yeah, it was definitely disappointment. I mean, they were disappointed because mm-hmm. everyone had this idea that Tatis was getting over the hump. You you saw it with his shoulder injury. He was playing soccer out in the outfield, and it was a bad look. It looked terrible. Like obviously, guys, like if we were paid three hundred sixty million to come do this podcast today. If someone was like, hey, yeah, you showed up drunk on the podcast, so you, you need to be prepared. We would do everything we can to prepare for today's podcast. That's a given. It's called being a professional. But when you show up and you're sh- like you're proving this is not the number one thing on my plate. Your teammates should look at you a certain way. And Tatis knows that that his teammates were disappointed in him. It's not any it shouldn't be news. And. He knows he's got plenty length in this contract to prove himself, which is the great thing for him. So I'm looking forward to next year because Tatis, in my estimation, he should have a chip on his shoulder. He should know that some people have given up on him, especially as being the face of baseball. I mean, you hardly would ever hear anyone talking about that now. He wants it back, and I I believe in him. So you know we'll see what he does, but for now, 
his teammates should be pissed. Yeah, that that's that's how, how exactly how it should be for them. And I, I just have one more Aaron Judge related question with the uh, with the baseball report that came out recently. The different baseballs being used. What what are your thoughts on? You think they were trying to juice that up there in uh, late September to get the get the record? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean here here's the funny part about it. So uh, Ryan Spader is a great friend of mine um, on Twitter. And, um, you know, we text back and forth all the time about baseball. We love baseball. So, you know, we talk about it, you know, potential scandals. We talked about the Astros cheating scandal all those years ago. You know, that's what we do. So we were bouncing ideas off each other. And he goes, hey, by the way, uh, you're like one of the first people I told you this, but I can promise you they're going to juice the baseballs this year. And by I think he said by July, we're going to be talking about the home run chase. He I have texts that prove this. Ooh. And he's the dude, you know, this is the thing about people like Spader is that they're not always going to be right because he's been wrong plenty as well, but they are going to tell you their honest truth. And that's what I, that's what I enjoy about people in the sports industry that can be honest and give you an honest opinion. He honestly told me this could happen. Sure enough, a couple months go by, I text him. I said, oh my God, dude, are you kidding me? (laughs) He's like, dude, I mean, it's it's very it's just predictable because baseball sometimes needs a little shot in the arm. You saw it with the steroid era. Right. Um, And they swept it under the rug. Bud Selig let it happen for a while. And that was for the sake of ratings and numbers and people being excited about the game of baseball. So you can understand why they did it. You can also understand why the Yankees would get juice baseballs. Majority of baseball fans are watching them as opposed to other people. They're on national TV, Braves, Phillies. They're on national television all the time, Sunday night baseball. So when you have juice baseballs in those games, baseball is going to look more exciting to people who don't watch currently. And that's what that's what I would assume they tried to do. And it got a bunch of college football fans forced to watch on this little split screen, Aaron Judge's face. Whereas, <laughs> let's just say if the baseballs weren't juiced, you wouldn't be having those conversations. He would not be on the screen. So. Yeah, I, I believe it happened, but of course I don't have the information myself, so I can't confirm or deny it, any of that. But can I believe it would happen? I can. Yeah, th- that's a great point with the uh, forcing college football fans to watch it, forcing people to to be entertained by, by it every the bottom line on ESPN having it every day. And like the the thing where Austin Slater came out and revealed that MLB threatened jobs of anyone collecting balls for analysis. And like, yeah, what, like you said about Spader, you want reporters to be honest. They're going to be wrong, but as long as they're honest and upfront about everything, it's like, okay, if they tell you what they're hearing, that's all you can ask for. And that sounds like it's what happened. And yeah, it, it makes complete sense that they would, they would juice those balls. Cause you know, everyone was watching. That was the main storyline after the trade deadline and it paid off for them. It did. It really did pay off for him. It paid off. It couldn't have went any better. And, and really what's funny about it is I don't even know a baseball guru. I really, yeah. I really don't. Cause to be honest with you, I'd, I'd look at, I'd text my mom and I'd text, my mom loves the Padres, right? But in terms of national attention, I just don't know. I feel like baseball is so local that people don't really, they'll watch other teams, but they're not like, oh, what's Schwarber doing? He hit six home runs in a row and, you know, six games in a row he hit a bomb. Yankees fans aren't going to turn on their channel to watch. So it's almost like, 
I don't know if it's really that effective. I think as a whole, baseball has to get better, which in my opinion, it was better during the steroid era. Um, baseball as a whole needs to get better, not just like one little storyline, like, oh, Aaron judges with the home run chase or the home run derbies tonight. There needs to be this macro change to baseball to actually get it to grow. I yeah, agree. I know, I know like out here in Seattle, I mean, it grew a little bit just because we we're finally in an actual legitimate playoff hunt. So there's a lot more people out here paying attention to the Mariners. But like for me, like I love doing this podcast because I'm a baseball junkie. I'm a stat junkie. I could talk about that stuff all day, but nobody out here follows like <laughs> league wide baseball. So right. this gives me the uh, ability to kind of just talk like with Ryan every week. I get to talk just about everybody in baseball that pops into my head whenever I feel like it. And it's amazing because you can't just go do that because not if you most people, if they're baseball fans, they follow the team in the city closest to them. Right. And that's it especially 162 game season is huge. So even if they try and follow baseball, most people fizzle out like by the end of May and it's, it's frustrating. And I do think it needs kind of some kind of boost to get back into that national spotlight. And I think juice balls could be it. Cause I mean, the steroid era, I grew up, I was born in 88. So I grew up it, watching baseball in the steroid era, I grew up. Barry Bonds was my favorite player besides Ken Griffey Jr. I still think right. Barry Bonds is the greatest baseball player of all time. Mm-hmm. Or the greatest hitter of all time. I think Otani's the greatest overall baseball player of all time. Anyways, yeah, like that was just the most fun. Watching McGuire and Sosa just go back to back all the damn time for that home run chase. Like stuff like that. That is the excitement that baseball needs to be brought or to have be brought back. You know what I actually think the biggest problem with baseball right now is the velocity. I think velocity is just a nightmare. Um, It's too hard. It's too hard to hit, guys. And I know people are trying to figure out, like, do we ban the shift? Do we not? Or do we keep the game the same in the way it always was? And I'm going to be honest with you. Like, yeah, like in 2002, when you're going the other way, it is different going the other way in 2023 this upcoming season it is different guys are throwing 102 it's moving they've got new grips more efficient arm slots they figured out tunneling better than they've ever had like it it's so much harder to hit i mean i was in college baseball i committed to florida state out of junior college there were kids throwing 98 miles an hour in college juco dudes were like Kids were taking steroids, and I mean, anyone who played junior college baseball at a high level will tell you steroids were prevalent. The physical abilities of amateurs was otherworldly. Like these dudes are going to some random JUCO in the middle of nowhere, Arizona, throwing a hundred. And kids with and people would look at me and I go, you know, where's this kid going? They go, oh, he's a um, he was at Oregon State last year, and and now he he wants to get drafted. I'm like, are you kidding me? My dad's first my dad's first home run ever was against a lefty throwing like 89. Yeah. I was gonna ask you about that because your dad was playing back in the day where like Greg Maddox was topping out at like 87 <laughs> miles an hour. Like that had to be not that it was easier because I don't think right, baseball right. is ever easy, but that's got to be a little easier than facing Degrom throwing a 92 mile an hour slider that breaks the the inches to the left yeah you know the counter though to that is that what they'll say is that the control was much better like their con their ability to pitch 
they were pitchers. They weren't throwers. So that is true. And and I wouldn't argue against that. I Like, I really wouldn't. But objectively speaking, if somebody hits a spot as a pitcher throwing 100 miles an hour, you can't tell me it's not more difficult to put the bat on the ball. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable what these hitters have to do. And I watch it. And I'll see guys like Trey Turner battling in that bat 100 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour slider on the corner and he'll like he'll take a slider i'm like how do you even see that <laughs> yeah. i mean oh my god it, it's i don't know and of course and this brings me to my point the fact that it's harder to put the ball in play i don't think it was home runs i don't think it was ever home runs that we liked watching i think it was action having the ball be put in play ground ball to shortstop jeter can make a jump throw Line drive into right field, double cut, play at the plate, catcher gets run over. Actually seeing action that doesn't just involve hitting the ball into the seats, I thought that was more fun. And ultimately, I think that's what needs to happen again in order to get fans to come back to this game. Yeah, I I think I don't you don't hear people talking about how much of an issue the velocity is because everyone's throwing high 90s, 100 now. It's not rare to see that. And you can't fix that. You you can try to take stuff away from pitchers like I'm sure people are using some sort of substances, but you want to have that control for the pitchers. so They're not throwing wild and throwing at randomly hitting people more, more so. So I don't know if there's talk of moving the mound back. I don't know if that's how they could do it, but they have to do something to to definitely grow the game because that's what all these rule changes and stuff are supposedly for is to grow the game. And, you know, one of the ideas I had was, you know, maybe make just the, the dog days of summer more interesting. I know, I know some minor leagues do like a, um, like a halfway point, the halfway champion automatically makes the playoffs or the NBA has that play in stuff now where they're expanding the, uh, the playoffs. So I don't know if that's something to get more fans involved, but because even with like the steroid home run chase, I don't know how many casual sports fans you're getting. You're getting baseball fans more excited, but growing right. the game is tough. I think for, for any sport nowadays and focusing on that may not be as important as focusing on what your actual fans that are going to be watching and buying gear and going to games want to see. I mean, do we need to put a speed limit? I mean, for the love of God, I'm not being serious, of course, but my God, it's they'll they'll be like, yeah, the start of Garrett Cole's pitching tonight. Oh, yeah, here's 100, 101 mile an hour was his last pitch of the seventh inning. What a great start. All right. Who's coming in the throw? Clay Holmes, 99 mile an hour sinkers. 100, oh, he touches 100 miles an hour. I'm like, dude, these hitters can't catch a break. Yeah, yeah, I remember going to Citizens Bank Park when uh, Billy Wagner was the Phillies closer, and like when he hit 100, this, the place would explode. And now it's like every other pitch from from most closers or setup man. It's just insane how how fast they've gotten, and and how that's not even something really even talked about. You know what? If you really want to see how absurd the change in velocity is, go watch Aroldis Chapman's like one of his first All Star game appearances, if not his first, where he was throwing like 103, and everybody was in the dugout laughing. They're like, this dude's got no chance at the plate. I don't even remember. I don't even remember who was hitting. It, I think it was the it was the dude from Kansas City, um, Mustakis. I believe he was the he was the guy hitting. Okay. And he's just getting blown away by 102, and then he hit 103, and everyone goes, oh my god, he's got no chance. Now you see 103 from like Gratterall in like the sixth inning of a Dodger game, and they're like, no one even looks up from their phone. 
Yeah, like in the uh, the postseason for the Mariners, uh, Munoz, he's hitting 103. And just I'm at the bar watching the game with everybody, and everybody's just kind of casually watching the game. And I'm just like, do you guys realize he's throwing 103 miles an hour? Like, you could never even dream about coming near that, but so many people do it so often now. Like, I remember uh, kind of like when StatCast was newer and Chapman came up and he was throwing that fast. They had a, a Chapman filter. Yeah. For the when on the speed rating thing, so you could filter out his pitches to see who else was throwing fast. Yeah, it's I don't know I don't know what to tell these hitters because of course, like you said, we can't reverse this. And Bob Gibson, I mean, a lot of what baseball fans they kind of forget like about history for some reason. For people who love history as much as they do, baseball fans forget history so often. Mm-hmm. We change the rules all day long. In the history of the game, Bob Gibson shows up throwing 98 miles an hour. What do we do? We lower the mound. He was the only guy in the big leagues throwing that hard. And they're like, dude, we got to do something. And they did something immediately. They're like, this is too much. And for some reason, we're watching this now. And they don't think it's too much. They just say, make an adjustment. And so far, they haven't. Yeah, I guess moving the mound down would also help or also possibly just making the strike zone smaller and making the pitchers actually pitch and not just throw and hope the batter either chases or it hits the, the wider strikes when they have now, or, you know, you never know if they're going to come up with the robot umps that they're testing out in the minor leagues. So that's going to be a whole nother orde- ordeal. But yeah, these, these rule changes even next year, I think is going to be interesting to see with, without the shift, uh, the, 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 the clock there, that's going to be interesting, both pitchers and hitters and, and they only get one pickoff, so now faster guys that are on first base maybe get more stolen bases. Maybe that that increases the action, but I'm still very skeptical of these if these rules are going to be implemented full time and not just be like spring training or a month and be like, okay, we're done with that. Yeah, you know what? I think baseball thought, okay, well they're going to throw 100, and eventually the adjustment's going to be they're going to sign a bunch of DJ LeMahieu's and Trey Turner's and making it. They're going to try to counter it with contact. They didn't. They're like, dude, let's throw up eight Joey Gallows swing for the fences. If you strike out, no one's going to say a thing. And that's kind of what you look at. And everyone's like, dude, it's boomer bust. I'm like, these hitters, all the hitters that you're talking about that are going to hit 319 with 14 home runs and 48 RBI, those purest, like those pure hitters, those guys trying to model their game after Tony Gwynn, they sit in the minor leagues and they call up these 6'4", 221-pound left fielders that can slug and strike out 400 times, they prefer those guys because they're the only ones that can produce runs right now. They just run into the ball, and they go, like, congratulations. And then they come back to the dugout. A bu- like, eight other guys go up and strike out in a row, and then somebody else hits a home run. That is offense right now. And I think baseball really overestimated the type of adjustment hitters would make to this velocity. I don't think there is one. Yeah, it's reached the point where if you strike out like 30% of the time now, everybody's like, okay, that's like a manageable number. Like I remember 10 years ago, it was like, damn, if you strike out 22% of the time, that's nuts. And shifting gears slightly because I wanted to ask you about him and the strikeout thing kind of tricked or ticked it in my brain. So I know you're a Yankees fan. The Red Sox haven't hardly done anything, but they did sign Masataka Yoshida, the man that seems to never strike out. Uh, he struck out what I have it up right here. He struck out 
42 times in 515 play appearances. Do you think he has the type of game that can translate to the major league level? We always seem to question these guys from Japan and, and I know you're not questioning it. You're just really asking the question, but yeah, um, they always do. It seems you like it. Sometimes you'll watch them on tape. It, it reminds me of in basketball when Luka Doncic was ripping up the European league and everyone's like, this, this is not going to transfer over to the NBA. These guys are high flying. They're quick. They're, they're jumping, they're dunking. The dude comes over. It translates smooth as silk. And that's that's what I expect. I expect this guy to be a and you see the style like with Alex Verdugo. He reminded me a lot of Verdugo, obviously potentially much better player, I would assume. But it's refreshing to see those type of guys at the plate when you need them. And Verdugo was clutch Um, when he's had clutch appearances in Boston. He comes through. That's why I always love those guys. So I expect this guy. I wanted him in New York. And, you know, of course, the Yankees have their sights set somewhere else because otherwise he'd be there. And I think we all know the Red Sox usually aren't the highest bidder on anybody. And um, yeah, I I can see it translating and wish him good luck. Yeah. Yeah, He has a really, Oh, go ahead, Ryan. I was was going to say his numbers over there are just like insane to look at in his career. He struck out 307 times, 427 walks for that. I mean, OPS oh 957. Like, and he's not a kid. He's 29. He's going to be 30 in July. So he's a guy that can probably be top of the order guy for them. He doesn't have speed, which is surprising because he only has 21 stolen bases over seven seasons. But I mean, if he gets on base and they still have uh, Devers, if they're able to keep him after next next year, and yeah, the Red Sox are trying to build something back up. But I mean, after after losing Bogarts and really their only off-season acquisition so far is Kenley Jansen, who may not have many save opportunities. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens up there in Boston. Those dudes kill it in Japan. Those dudes rake. They just mm-hmm. do. And everyone always questions them. Like, really, this is what I was saying at the beginning. Is like when Shohei Otani got here and he was hitting in spring training, he was here in Arizona. I was going to games. And people like Stephen A. Smith on ESPN were like, dude, look at his swing. It sucks. I'm like, guys. <laughs> I promise you they didn't rate him where they rated him. They didn't give him this type of money because he sucked. Give him time. I promise you these dudes, have we not learned anything from Hideki Matsui and and Daisuke Matsuzaka and all these dudes will come out. They know how to play baseball. If it's an adjustment, give them a little bit of time. I promise you by the end, if they stay healthy, they're going to find a way to make an impact. And that's what Boston did by giving them that contract. Yeah, and I'm curious because I know he's a lefty in that real short uh, <clears throat> outfield wall out there in right field. Uh, he could be a legitimate like 30 double, 30 home run guy next year that just doesn't strike out. I think I saw the only person that struck out less than him at in the majors last year was Luis, Luis Arias. So being a 30 double, 30 home run guy that strikes out that little, I know, take it back to fantasy baseball, fantasy baseball wise he's gonna be a points league monster because those strikeouts can be killer in fantasy baseball and having a guy that's going to strike out like 50 times over the course of an entire season while putting up legitimate power numbers he's he's gonna be ridiculous and i'm curious to see what his uh adp is going into next season yeah that's the thing about fenway park is that you can't just put any hitter in there and expect to succeed but certain guys like 
if he can use the opposite field, lefties kill it in Fenway. They kill it. And, you know, me and my dad talked about this all the time. I'm like, dude, you would, my dad has said it all the time. He's like, if, dude, if I played in Fenway Park, I couldn't imagine. <laughs> I couldn't even imagine. And it's like, nobody can argue with it. But at the same time, you can't just assume someone's going to be better just because they're playing in Boston. It's about the style of hitter you are. If you can put the ball in play, really good two-strike hitters can do a ton of damage in Boston. You can you can go from 0-2, 1-2, foul a couple pitches, go 2-2, and just slap a ball the other way off the wall. Those hitters kill it in Boston. So this signing to me is can't miss. And now, of course, it's up to uh, Chaim to go get it done elsewhere with Devers, they missed they they were never going to go 11 years with Xander Bogarts. But Mm-mm. as my great friend Will Middlebrook said, if you really wanted to sign Xander Bogarts, he should have been signed like last offseason and they didn't do it. So, yeah, I like what they're doing in Boston outside of what they did with X. And I'm happy for that kid that they just gave a chance because I think he can be special. Yeah, I, I think they need to lock up Devers even before the season starts. Just show that they have some sort of loyalty after trading away bets and then losing Bogarts. I, I was kind of just secretly hoping he'd go to the Yankees just to have another guy go from Boston to New York. But like you said with with Fenway, yeah, you can't be you can't look to to play off of the Green Monster there. You have to be a guy that that can hit and just you know slap it there or or pop it up there and get it over the get it over for the home run. And yeah, I, I'm sure uh, I'm sure your dad would have hit plenty of home runs there, and also plenty in uh, the the new Yankee Stadium with the the short porch and all all these smaller stadiums. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love I I always loved that. There was a great tournament when I was in uh I was like 12 years old. We went and played in Cooperstown, mm-hmm. and uh, people always say before the tournament, my whole team, dude, I'm gonna hit so many home runs. The fence we play on like 300 foot fences at that age. And when you go to Fen, you actually go to Cooperstown, the fences are 200 feet. It's like playing on a little tiny miniature field. And everyone's excited because we're going to hit home runs. And they get there and like three quarters of the team doesn't do jack. They stink. Because everyone's thinking about the field the whole time you're playing. Some guys succeed, others don't. Like I got there, I didn't hit a single home run. Every single at bat, I was like, all I got to do is hit a fly ball, it's a home run. And that's what I'm sure a lot of hitters do when they get to Fenway. They're like, this is going to be easy. And then it's not. So, yeah, I think Boston did a great job of figuring out what guy, what what guy should we invest in that would take advantage of Fenway Park. I think Yoshida could do it. Yeah, I mean, he he has the stats. He, it looks like he has the, the eye for it, and he'll, he'll get plenty of opportunities because they don't. The Red Sox don't have many uh, other options to to lead off there really with bringing back not many of not many good hitters there. They have. Devers and Trevor Story still in Verdugo, but if he can be a good leadoff hitter for them, that can be a, a good start for their turnaround. Hey, they got Story, who they gave 140 million to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's I was hoping that hell of a deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was hoping Story would, would come to the Phillies uh, last year, possibly for a switch to center field. But I'm very happy with uh, with Trey Turner, and you know what? Go out, go out and get Devers next offseason too, if he's not resigned. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what Boston's gonna do. I think all those pod all those Boston based podcasts, they're they're just gonna have to close shop if that happens. <laughs> you call it. It's it's about dumb. They're already I think they're letting uh, JD Martinez isn't coming back either, I don't think. I know I saw a couple days ago he was out he posted on Instagram he was out in Seattle and I'm curious to see if 
he is somebody that was out here meeting with Seattle or if he just came out to driveline out here to get some work in in the offseason. If he does come out here, he would make one hell of a DH if he can get that power back. But he is one of those guys that I it would be really weird to see him in a different jersey just because I'm so used to seeing him in that Red Sox jersey. Yeah, it's weird. And and he was great in Arizona, too. That, that dude, that dude could hit. But of course, I think he what is he 36. So, yeah, I just I don't know. Some of these organizations, he he to me seems like a risk. Like you could sign him to a one year deal and he could just hit 220 like that year you saw he had during covid where he was just non-existent. He could do that or he can put up a he could put up a couple months where he hits 320 with pop. So he's the type of hitter that really can he can spray the ball all over the yard he's not a dead pull guy and major league teams should look at that so really if you have a problem with jd martinez it's age related so i can understand it yeah he's a guy that seems to be getting up getting up there in age like you forget that he was so good in his prime you know what? maybe he's still a good dh to have maybe someone like the mets go after him or, or another uh, another team that you know, have you have 15 more DH spots open in the NL, and he's a guy that can definitely fill one of those. Uh, once again, we're here with Gary Sheffield Jr. at Gary Sheffield Jr. on Twitter. Make sure you give him a follow. Been some great uh, just baseball conversation here. Wasn't sure going into too much fantasy baseball in the realm here on the SGPN Fantasy Baseball Podcast, but it's been a fantastic conversation here with Gary. Uh, hopefully, we can have him on again. Uh, you got any parting shots here as we wrap it up? Oh no, hopefully. Uh... Hopefully uh, Cohen doesn't steal any more of our players. <laughs> I'm I'm looking at my phone, getting notifications. Every single time my phone gets a notification, my heart drops. And I'm like, if this dude Cohen spends any more money, I'm gonna lose my mind. All this hair you see on the top of my head, which you know we're doing a podcast, so luckily you can't see me. But um, I'd be bald by the next time we go live. Yeah, we were recording when the whole uh, Heyman Aaron Judge thing happened. Like I saw it, and like uh, ten minutes later, I was like, "Oh no, that it didn't happen." So yeah, no, I know I know what it feels like looking for those notifications. Uh, hopefully, the Yankees, for your sake, can do something else with one of the Carloses out there, and we can have you back on to uh, talk about that. That'd be awesome. And yeah, if you know, maybe if the Yankees signed Carlos Rodon, it'd be a good pickup. I'd be happy. But um, if we're really being honest. How much better did the Yankees get by doing that? I mean, to, if we just got swept by the Houston Astros and you pick up, what, a two, a really good two-starter, like a super two in your rotation, and now they, that, that lineup, they couldn't score runs for four straight games at home or on the road, suddenly is fixed. I mean, what is the, is the big offseason pickup a prospect from your AAA team? I mean, in my mind, more needs to be done which is it sounds like a lot getting judge Rodon and doing something else. It seems like a lot, but really they just paid a guy to maintain the team and you got to get better off. That the- is, yeah. That's exactly the word I was going to use is maintain it. Cause that's the, that's been the big argument about the matches. They had to come in and kind of spend money to maintain, but even them, they've gone out and get in, got uh Cody Senga from, from Japan. They, I mean, they might trade Carrasco now, but they got David Robertson to add another bullpen guy. Like they maintained what they had and then added some. And like we want you want to see the Yankees do that, too, and just be the classic Yankees that you uh, love to hate. Yeah, I want to be hated again. <laughs> but we're not hated. No, we are not. They're like the Yankees are in town. Like my grandma, my grandma will message me and be like, 
yeah, the, the believe it or not, the Yankees are coming to town to play interleague play. That should be a fun series. I'm like, no one ever used to say that. <laughs> no one ever did that. They're like, the Yankees are in town. I hate the Yankees. Oh, Jeter, he thinks he's cute. And they, they won, what do they want? 112. They talked about the Yankees like they do the Dodgers. But now it's just this fun series that grandma can enjoy. At least we're not pitied like the Red Sox are now, especially if Devers leaves. Yeah, and I can't really – you know what's funny about it is I can't even feel sorry for Red Sox fans because they still have it better than us. Oh, right absolutely. now the Yankees are like in this – it's almost this pyramid scheme. It's like, yeah, we spend $200 million, but we really don't have a chance to win. And the Red Sox have won four World Series since the last time we did it. So obviously they know what they're doing, and we don't. Yeah, and also they have the, I mean, the other championships with hockey and the Patriots, obviously. So yeah, no one, no one actually pities Boston. I guess it's just specifically the Red Sox because the the entirety of Boston sports fans, they they've enjoyed enough. They're living great lives in Boston. <laughs> some great food, some some clam chowder. They are uh, they were so spoiled in the 2000s. It is disgusting with Tom Brady. The Boston Red Sox, that 04, that 04 series still haunts me. Horrible. Couldn't have been worse. All right. Well, on that note, Gary, it has been awesome having you on with us, my man. Look forward to potentially having you back on again at some point. Of course, fellas. Anytime. Absolutely anytime. All right. And that was a uh, there's the interview with Gary Sheffield Jr. at Gary Sheffield Jr. on Twitter. A uh, fantastic conversation there about baseball, about the Yankees, about the Mets, about the Red Sox. Got some Phillies and Mariners talking there as always. But, yeah, it was a good conversation there and hopefully something we can do again soon. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, I mean, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Balake, B-U-H-H-L-O-C-K-A-Y-E. And you can also follow the show at SGPN Fan Baseball on Twitter as well. Yeah, and if you uh, liked what you hear today and want to hear more of it, make sure you subscribe to the SGPN Fantasy Baseball Podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast. That's Apple, Spotify, Overcast, wherever. Uh, share it with your friends. Anything helps the show grow, and it uh, helps us get more get more great guests like this. And, uh, yeah, I'm Ryan Gilbert. You can follow me on Twitter at rgilbertsop. And as always, we'll catch you guys next time. Catch you on the flippity flip. Peace. Yeah.